Well, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll go ahead and get started with it. Proverbs 1, I'll have it on the screen for you. Proverbs 1. I want to start out with this, facts about the book of Proverbs, kind of introduction to the book. So here's some interesting things. The Hebrew word for Proverbs literally means mashal, and it means to rule. Okay, so I want you to think about that. Mashal, it means to rule. I'm going to give you the whole definition. Divine rules to govern the whole of man's conduct, civil, religious, and business affairs. Can you guys say rule? Can you say divine? So there's different principles that, that I want to kind of show you. Uh, and I just think this is amazing as well, that God has literally given us a book, the book of Proverbs. The word Proverbs literally means to rule, to rule in life. And then it breaks down in the Hebrew meaning of that, of that word proverb. It breaks down specifically to rule in civil affairs, to rule in a, a religious to affairs, to rule in business affairs. And so God has given us divine. I want you to think about that word now. Divine means it comes from God. And we're going to read about who wrote Proverbs, where it came from. But God has given us instructions, not worldly instructions, heavenly instructions, things that sometimes are completely opposite to how we think things work in the world. He's given us heavenly instructions on how to rule in this life in every single area. Amen. And I'm going to kind of explain why that's significant in a minute. But I just think that that's super cool to start out with. Uh, the book of Proverbs is quoted eight times in the New Testament. So I'll tell you guys why this is significant, and hopefully none of you think like this. But there's a lot of people that you'll read stuff, uh, that, that, that the, you might read something as we go through this that you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like that, that sticks weird. People read things in the Bible, and most of the time they don't like what it has to say, so they'll say things like, well, that was the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. That doesn't pertain to us anymore. The book of Proverbs was quoted from directly eight different times in the New Testament. So why I'm trying to tell you that that's significant is that in the New Testament, while they're writing the Scriptures, they would literally pull a verse straight from Proverbs and quote it directly. And so, for instance, like Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, is quoted in both Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, and Revelation 3, 19. And so the thought process is... You can't have that mindset. You can't say, well, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 is meant for us because it's quoted directly in the New Testament, but Proverbs 3, 10 is not for us. That's old cup. You can't separate that. And so I wanted to show you that to kind of break that mindset. What we're going to be reading, it still applies to us today. It's just as much for us today as it was for them. Obviously, we have to filter things through the new covenant. We have to filter things through Jesus and what he did. Uh, but there's just a lot of people that just completely throw things to the wayside. And, and I, I want to really help you that you can take the Bible. Because there's a whole lot of people, I don't know if you guys know this or any of you are like this, they don't even read the Old Testament because they say it doesn't apply to us anymore. But that's absolutely not true whatsoever. The Bible actually teaches that every single word, all the scripture has been given by God to us for our benefit to help teach us and rebuke us and correct us. And so I kind of want to help merge all of this together as we study this book together. So it was, it was mentioned eight times in the New Testament. So Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. 
I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about Solomon, if you don't know, uh, some pretty cool insight. So look, I'm going to look at his story. This is Second Chronicles 1, 7 through 11. This is kind of the story of what happened to Solomon. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. So before I continue to read, I want to give you a little bit of backstory. Solomon gave God like a ridiculous offering. I think that what they would do when they would give offerings is that it was required that they gave like seven cows or something like that. Well, Solomon said, okay, if the standard is we're supposed to give seven cows as an offering, I'm going to give a thousand cows. And so he made this ridiculous offering. And what ended up happening was that night when he went to, the, to, to sleep, the Lord appeared to him and said, ask me for anything that you want. And so there's even a side principle there that people wonder you know, about our giving and stuff, that giving moves the heart of God, and it did for Solomon. That literally Solomon gave a gift to God that moved his heart, where God appeared to him and said, what do you want? You know, Solomon showed God that he was serious and made a sacrifice. And so that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father. And now you have made me a king in his place. Verse 9, O Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David my father. For you have made me a king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10, Solomon said, Give the wisdom and knowledge. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Verse 11, God said to Solomon, Because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth riches fame or even death of your enemies or a long life but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people i will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge that you've requested i want to show you this though verse 12 but i will also give you wealth riches and fame such as no other king has had before you and will ever have in the future so this is pretty amazing you know god comes to solomon and, and god tells him you can have anything that you want and solomon says i want wisdom and i want knowledge and as we read through the book of proverbs you're going to see this is a theme all the all throughout the book we're going to read several times where where the bible says seek after wisdom seek after knowledge Desire wisdom more than you would desire treasure. Pursue after wisdom harder than you would pursue after a billion dollars. Pursue after knowledge and wisdom. This is what's so cool, is that Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said, you didn't ask me for riches? You didn't ask me for success? You didn't ask me for prosperity, for the victory over your enemies, for health and healing and long life? You asked me for wisdom. And then what does it say at the end in verse 12? It says, I'll give you the wisdom that you requested, but I will also give you wealth and riches such as and fame such as no other king has, before, has had before you or will ever have in the future. Let me give you some insight. And this is why when we read through the book of Proverbs, we're going to see this theme all throughout the whole. Ch There's 31 chapters. We're going to see this theme chapter after chapter after chapter where Solomon is pleading just like begging people, seek after wisdom because Solomon understood something. If I ask God for riches, I get an apple. I get a little 
fruit basket full of apples. I want you to think about this. But Solomon understood. Riches, they'll go away. But if I ask the Lord for wisdom, He will give me a tree. And if I have the tree, then I have the apples, right? If I have the apples, then I can only eat as many as I have. And then when it's gone, it's gone. But Solomon said, I don't want just the fruit. I don't want just the apple. I want the tree. And so when you get wisdom, this is something we're going to see throughout the entire book. Wisdom will produce riches in your life. Wisdom will produce prosperity in your life. Wisdom will allow you to have success and victory in your life. Wisdom will allow you to live a long life and a healthy life. So all those other things that we would seek after, Solomon says, seek after wisdom. Because if you seek after wisdom, you don't have to focus your, entirety, your entire life on wealth. You don't have to focus your entire wealth on success. You don't have to focus your entire wealth on being he- uh, your entire life on being healthy. If you get wisdom, you will, by obtaining wisdom, obtain all these other things because all these other things are a product of wisdom. Are y'all still with me? So let's look at this. First Kings four twenty nine through thirty four. This is again just backstory about Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs. If we understand this, it'll kind of help us understand the book as we read through it a little more. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezrite, and the sons of Mahol, Hermon, Calco, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. And so Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs. You know, every book of proverbs, there's 31 chapters. Well, that's not one proverb. You know, each chapter consists of multiple different proverbs. So we actually have in our possession, I think, about 1,000 or 500 of the the proverbs that Solomon wrote. This is why it's interesting. Verse 33, it says, He could speak with authority above all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. You know, this is what's so amazing, is the wisdom that Solomon obtained was not wisdom from this world. It wasn't wisdom that you could learn going to college for 10 years. It wasn't knowledge and understanding that you could learn from experience. And, and, and so that's what's so amazing is God gave him divine wisdom. I, I, said, I told you earlier to say that word divine because I want you to understand that there's a difference between wisdom and divine wisdom. There's a difference between wisdom of the world and wisdom that comes from God. And so the wisdom that comes from God produces success in our lives. And, and that's, what, that's what God gave Solomon was this supernatural revelation, this supernatural understanding that produced all of these other things in his life. And so uh, let's go ahead and start in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. We'll start reading verse by verse together. All right, Proverbs 1.1. It says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. 
verse 2. And I'm reading from the New Living. I love this translation, the way it says this. It says, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline. I want you all to see right, right off the bat that those two things go hand in hand together. Having the wisdom of God goes hand to hand with having discipline in our lives. If we don't have discipline, then we cannot yield the wisdom of God or the things that he wants to give us. So Solomon said, I'm going to write this book. God has given me, just supernaturally downloaded these things inside of me, and I want to write this book with the intentions of teaching people the things that the Lord, the divine principles on how to rule and govern in life. I want to teach people how to have that impartation. And and with that impartation comes discipline. Can y'all say discipline? People don't like discipline. Kids don't like discipline. I don't think adults like discipline. Nobody likes discipline. But in order for us to, uh, again, have this divine revelation and gift from God, we have to have another word for discipline that Proverbs is going to use several several times is self-control. Learning how to control ourselves. That's a a big one. Uh, That's a big one for me. Learning how to control myself. I can let it go sometimes. Verse 2, so let me read that again. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Verse 3, their purpose is to teach people to live a disciplined and successful life. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. I want to kind of break something down for you guys that's so amazing to me is that I don't understand when I read this it just seems to me impossible that anybody could say God does not want you to prosper in life you know Solomon writes this book and he says I'm writing this book it's 31 chapters long there's an entire book in the Bible that starts out saying the purpose that this book has been given to us is to teach us how to live a successful life that, that blows my mind for anybody that says God doesn't want us to be successful. I know that's probably not a lot of you if you go to this church, but there's a lot of people in the world that think like that. There's a lot of people in the world that think that it's God's will for them to just struggle, for them it, that God's teaching them something by them constantly living in struggle and never having enough and always going through the ringer and trials and all these things. There's a book dedicated God deemed it so important out of all the things he could have written. He gave us a book and said the purpose of this book is to teach you how to have a successful life. I want you to see this. God wants you to have a successful life. That is going to be a theme all throughout the scriptures. As we're going to read in a minute that God is practically begging people. saying, I want you to succeed. I want you to prosper. I want you to get this. If you would do these things, we're going to read that. But I just have such a hard time with people uh, bringing that approach that they think, you know, that that's the kind of God that we serve. When you read that, the purpose of this book is to teach people how to live discipline in successful lives. Go right along back to what I said about the, the name proverb in the Hebrew. It literally means how to rule, divine principles on how to rule in life. Solomon said, 
I obtained wisdom from God. And wisdom allowed me to have prosperity. Wisdom allowed me to have success. Wisdom allowed me to be a king where I expanded my territory and I was successful at what I did. And so he said, I'm going to write this book that will teach people wisdom. The wisdom that God gave me that produced all these other things in my life. It is just crazy and absurd to think that God does not want us to have success uh, and to prosper in this life. John 10.10, put it in the filter of the New Testament. It says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says life and life abundantly. And so... You know, God wants to give us principles, and, and that's kind of the purpose of this book, is that if we take this, this will produce great fruit in our lives and allow us to succeed and prosper in life. I'm so excited to get into this book, but let's keep reading this. So let's see, verse 4. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, I have a few things that I've highlighted. I'm going to come back, and I'm, I'm going to finish reading through these verses that I've put together. But young, that's something I'm going to come back to. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. So let me jump back up to verse 4. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. This book was specifically written to young people. This book was written that Solomon was saying, if you're young, I want to give you these instructions, and if you take these instructions, you will prosper in your life. Guys, I, I, I encourage you, if you have kids, get your kids to read the book of Proverbs every single day. So there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Basically, you can read through the entire book in about a month. And then once you finish, you can just start back over uh, in chapter 1. And we'll kind of see what the Scripture is saying. But every time you read it, you're going to get something different out of it. Every time you read it, God's going to build on something He's already spoke to you. You'll read it through. Maybe you've read it through a hundred times. And you get through it a hundred and one times. And all of a sudden, you see something you've never seen before. That's how the scripture is. It's just layer after layer after layer. We could spend this whole, our whole lives, 150 years digging into this word, 12 hours a day, and live our entire life and still never, never unfold every layer that God has for us. And so this is specifically written to young. And so again, I love this book. I feel like this will help kids so much. I feel like part of our problem is that we've kind of taken divine knowledge out of children's hands and we've just let the world raise them. We let Facebook raise them. We let TV raise them. We let all these other things raise them. And what Solomon is saying is I've written this book to the young. So if you're young in this room, if you're a youth age kid in this room, or even a young adult, take this word, take the book of Proverbs and, and, and hold that true and say, I am going to shape the way that I see the world through these divine principles. I'm going to shape the way that I see the economy through these principles. I'm going to shape the way that I see discipline through these principles. I'm going to shape the way that I engage in life through these principles in this book. Uh, I can tell you all one of the most beneficial classes I ever took at Bible college was this class called 
biblical worldview. And so the whole purpose of the book was this kind of this understanding that your worldview, every person in this room has a worldview. And what worldview means is just basically exactly what the, what the name is. It's how you view the world. And the theory is this, that the way that you view the world is determined by a few different things. Uh, one of those things being every experience you've ever had determines how you view the world. Every song you've ever listened to, every friendship you've ever had, it, it, the parents that raised you, the culture you grew up in, it shapes the way that you view the world. People in the north, I don't know if y'all have known this, I went up to uh, Idaho with my friend for about a month one time, and I was like, man, people are just different up here. They ain't like they are back home. You know, people in different parts of the world are going to view the world differently. And so that's, that's kind of what the, what the Scripture is saying, what Solomon is saying, is he's written this to the young to help, if you will take this and allow this to shape your children's, the, the way that they view the world, it'll, it'll definitely help them. So look at this, though, the next verse. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. So if you're old, if you're older in this room and you're not a child, then you can't say, well, this book's not for me. What the Scripture is, is saying, that it doesn't matter, again, how many times you re read through this. God is always, always. If you already have wisdom... If you've already been following Christ for years, the most amazing thing about this book in the Bible is it's saying you can read it, and every time you read it, you're going to gain more wisdom. Every time you read it, you're going to gain more insight. And God's going to show you more things. It says, let those with understanding receive guidance. Y'all, this is kind of a supernatural thing. But I, I, I can promise you this, as you begin to read through this, I'll challenge you, read a proverb every single day. It's something that I like to do, I've been doing for, for years. Sometimes I'll take a, a little break, but I'll go back to it. God will begin to give you guidance in your life as you do this. And so, like the Bible says this, that the Word of God is the light unto our path and the lamp unto our feet. So this is what this means, and this is what the Scripture is saying. As you get into this word, God will begin to give you direction in your life. So here's something you can apply with your faith. If you're wondering, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I don't know what decision I'm supposed to make. Maybe I'm at a crossroads with my business, with my job, with my family, with where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. The Bible says as you get into this book that you will receive guidance from the Lord. And you know, a lot of times that how that works is that God's Word actually deals with things that are so specific that we don't think that, that apply. What I mean by that is, you know, you could be reading through the book of Proverbs and all of a sudden it starts talking about a relationship. And now this problem that you've been struggling with for, for a year with somebody that's hurt you and offended you and you just haven't know how to move forward from it, well, the Bible tells you what you're supposed to do about forgiving people and, and then all of a sudden now you have direction. Wow, man, I know. I've been holding on to that. I need to let go of that. And so that's how the Bible gives you guidance and direction. So let's see this. Those with understanding will receive guidance, verse 6, by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise in their riddles. Y'all see riddles, parables. So here's something that Proverbs starts off. We haven't even gotten to the first actual 
divine principle of ruling and reigning in life. These are, this is still kind of Solomon setting the book up. The first thing that he says, though, is he's laying a foundation, is that you have to dig into this Word. You can't just skim over this. And I know a lot of people read the Bible, and they're like, okay, the verse of the day pops up on my Bible app. I read it. Check. That's, he's telling you right now, that's not going to work for this. It's like a riddle. So the only way that you're going to receive from this, it says, is by digging into it and exploring the meaning of what the Proverbs are saying, what the Scriptures is saying. And so, let me take a drink real quick. Y'all, I feel like sometimes we just want things so surface level, so spoon-fed to us. But when you read back even through Jesus' ministry, a lot of the times the things that He said... People didn't even understand what he meant. Jesus would say stuff to people and they would be like, what in the world did you just say? Eat your flesh, drink your blood? You're crazy. This dude is nuts. This guy needs to die. You know, they didn't understand at all what he meant. And so I'm going to challenge you. The Bible is meant to be in that way. You know, people are like, I don't understand the Bible. And so we just give up. So I don't understand what, what we're talking about here. So we give up so fast. We give up so easy because we don't understand. But the scripture says that's normal. It's meant to be like that. Why? So that you actually have to dig in order to gain understanding of what it's saying. God wants you to dig in that process of what does that verse mean? Let me jump online and read what other translations and dig into the history of what this thing's talking about. Help me to God will bring so much wisdom and revelation into your life. And so. Up front, I'm going to tell you, this is not a book that you can just skim through. You have to dig in order to understand what it's saying. Amen? Let's look at this. So this is where we get to the first one. This is verse 7. It says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So he's been setting up the Proverbs saying, I'm writing this to the young, kind of give us instructions of what to expect. And this is kind of the first bomb that he drops. He says, this book is going to teach you how to rule in life. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to help you live a rich and successful life. I want to impart all these things to you. And this is the very first foundation that he lays. The fear of the Lord is the foundation. Can y'all say foundation? Another translation says the beginning of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This is something that we've lost in Christianity, but I'm telling y'all, this is how it's meant to be. Step one of this whole thing is having a fear of God. Fear of God is not something we talk about. It's actually the opposite of what we talk about. Most people believe that we're not supposed to fear God. Most people believe, well, it's the New Testament we're not supposed to fear the Lord. We don't understand that. But what Solomon was saying is if you want knowledge in your life, if you want what God wants you to have in your life, if you want to have a healthy relationship with God in your life, there is a step one process that you have got to walk through, and that is understanding and having the fear of God in your life. Y'all, you can't do trigonometry if you don't know what 2 plus 2 is. And that's what we do a lot of times with the Scriptures. Is that we're trying to jump to deeper things and wondering why we're not already ten steps ahead of from where we're at in life. And, and, and Solomon gives us a key right here and says, here's a step one. This is the beginning. 
fear of the Lord. It all has to start with fear of the Lord. And a lot of people don't really know what the fear of the Lord is, so I'm going to kind of give you a very brief understanding. This is Matthew 10, 28. This is what Jesus told people. This came out of the mouth of Jesus. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you understand, guys, that it is healthy for you to have a fear of hell in your life? I know that people may think that that's wild and that's crazy. The Apostle Paul literally wrote in his letter saying, I would hate to get to the end of my journey doing all these things, right? preaching the gospel to all these churches all over the Roman Empire, doing all these things for God. And he said, I would hate to get to the end of that and be disqualified myself. You know, the fear of God, what it does is it helps keep sin out of your life. When you stop just thinking that God's grace is just something that can be taken so lightly, doesn't mean anything, it doesn't matter, and you start understanding and having a fear of God inside of you that says, no, I, 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 I fear the one that can send my soul to hell. That doesn't mean you don't love God, but it's having a healthy understanding of two things. One, God is God. Two, I am not God. I know who is God, and I put God in His place. I don't make the rules. This is something we've all got to understand. I don't, you don't, the person next to you doesn't get to make the rules. And that's what the fear of the Lord is, saying, Lord, I acknowledge you are the master of the universe. What you said goes. I'm going to do what you say, and I actually fear because you have the power and I understand that this is, you're not somebody that's to be taken lightly. Your word is not something that is to be taken lightly. That is the foundation in order to have a healthy relationship with God. Let me show you this. You know, because I know in the New Testament too, people will read, it says, perfect love cast out fear. I've heard that a lot. And they'll say, well, look, we're not supposed to fear God. But even if you read that, uh, in context, it's talking about people, if you have a relationship with God, it's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? It's talking about judgment. It's saying you don't have to fear, that of, you don't have to dread every day like, oh my gosh, I don't want Jesus to come back. You're sweating like you're really scared. It's saying you don't have to live that way. But if you're a believer, we should actually be excited that Jesus is coming back. That's something we should be looking forward to. But having the fear of God is, again, it's that healthy reverence and understanding and respect. God, you are not one to be crossed. Your word is not one to be crossed. You are God. I am not God. And I acknowledge and put you in the proper place. Amen? And if we, you know, because I hear people say this all the time too. You can read something from the Bible. Well, I don't know. I don't, you know what I think you don't fear God. What? Because when you fear God, you understand it doesn't it doesn't matter what I think. If it's if his word says something different, that's what matters, not what I think. What I think is not hold same equal value as the word of God, and that all comes from the fear of the Lord. Psalms 36 verse 1. David said this, a whole different writer, different person. We have 
Solomon talking about the fear of God. We have Jesus talking about the fear of God. We have David in Psalms 36. Psalms 36, it says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. So he says, sin, these people are constantly living in sin. They're constantly touching their heart. That They're just entangled in that. Why? Because they have no fear of God. Fearing the Lord is the healthiest thing that we can do to, to get rid of sin in our life. Y'all, you know, I'm going to be very vulnerable. I'll just put it black and white to you. You know why I don't go out and cheat on my wife? It's not because I just love God so much. Well, I'm scared of Carissa too. People, if you just love God, that'll keep you from everything. I don't know who lives like that. Who wakes up every day in their marriage and just feels butterflies and feels sunshine? Right? It's a commitment is what I'm trying to say, is that it is meant to be that way. It's meant to be a commitment that you make even when you don't feel it. That's how God literally intended things. That through the better, through worse, through richer, through poorer, through sickness, through health, through all of that, it's a commitment that we make to one another, right? And so I don't go out and do that, not because I'm just skipping on butterflies every day and I'm just so in love and me and God, like, you know, there's days that it's like that. I don't do that because I don't want to go to hell. You know, there's this uh, guy that, and I know it gets weird when people talk about this, but I'm going to bring it up because I thought it was just super amazing. There was a guy that, in uh, Bishop David Oyedepo's church in Africa that died and went to hell, he says, and he tells the story. He said the first person he met in hell was a preacher. The preacher was in a cage. He was grabbing the cage, and he was shaking the cage, and he was saying, it was just a little bit of money. I'll put it back. I just took a little bit of money from the church and I'll put it back. You know, that kind of, when that guy came back, that's the fear of God. Like, I don't, there's lines you don't cross. God has told us not to do certain things. And, and by God, I'm going to take it seriously because I fear God and I actually believe his word is true. And what he said would be the consequence at the end of all of this. If I do my thing and not his thing, I fear that. That's a healthy thing. That's an extremely healthy thing. And not only is it, that's, and that, I'm going to tell you all, that's not supposed to be a mature thing. That's not supposed to be something that 90-year-olds that have been following Jesus for 70 years, they walk with the fear of the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, that's the foundation. That's a foundational thing that we all need to start from. If we would start from that place, we would eliminate so many problems. Can you imagine if we came into this whole thing genuinely believing God's real, believing that Jesus is coming back, believing that he said everything in our lives would be exposed and we would be judged according to those things, believing all of that, and we had a healthy fear, right? But here's the thing is what the Bible also tells us. Live in this covenant. Do what the Bible says. Do what the Word of God says. And if there ever comes a time in your life that you step off that path, repent. Quickly. That's one of the most amazing things is that God's not somebody that won't forgive you. The scriptures actually teach we have a high priest that that sits, that mediates between us and God. His name is Jesus Christ. That if we sin, we have forgiveness of sin. But there's a difference between I'm walking along and man, something blew up and I got mad and I really feel bad about it. I knew I shouldn't have done that and I repent. I turn from it. There's a difference between that 
and me sitting here thinking, well, I know God's word says that that's wrong, but I don't really care. I'm going to do it anyways. Those are two different things. Two different things. You know, and, and having a healthy fear of the Lord, the Bible actually teaches, like we just read in Psalms 36. One, you can flip that around and know the opposite is true. S the reason that sin whispered deep within their hearts is because they had no fear of God at all. If, so you could flip that around and say, if they feared the Lord, sin wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have had its grip on their life to that extent. Let's look at verse 8 through 9. Let's keep going. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. So again, this is written to specifically young people. This is written to kids. This is written to teenagers, young adults. The Bible says... One of the first instructions, think about this. This is the very beginnings. This is the first chapter. We just got in to the first thing he lays is the, is the fear of the Lord. The very next thing that he wants to tell kids, respect your father and your mother. If you're young in this room, I want to tell you how important it is that you have, you honor and you respect your father and your mother. And that's all throughout the scripture. You know that that's actually in the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul actually pulls that out of the law and says, honor your father and mother, and you will receive the benefit. And if you do, you'll live a long life. So if you're young, I want to tell you in this room, if you're a youth age kid, it's super important. If you want to walk in the fear of God, if you want to obtain the knowledge of God, if you want divine wisdom on your life, that uh, everything we just read that helps you prosper, that helps you succeed, that helps you have all of these benefits that Solomon received, he lays the foundation and says, honor your father and honor your mother. If you're a kid, I know all the parents are like, man, I wish my kid was in here so I could just boom, elbow him and say, you listen to this, how important it is. Don't be disrespectful. You know, when you're young, don't act like you know it all, all the time. I've done that. I used to you know, me and my dad would go round and round, and my dad gave me a great life, and I was a cocky teenager that thought I knew everything that there was to know about life. And I'm telling you, don't do that. If you're young, honor your mother. Honor your father. And that's a foundational thing that we need to learn. And, and I'm going to break that down a little bit more. And all the parents are like, amen, right? But parents, I'm not going to let you off the hook either. If I want to challenge you in this way. If you're parents, be parents that your children can honor. Your, parent, your children need to honor you, but don't make it ridiculously hard for your children to honor you as a man or a woman of God. I can tell you, me and Chris have been doing youth ministry for a long time, and one of the biggest battles that we have seen is kids that get saved. And the biggest fight that they have in life is when they go home. They're not, they're not out struggling with drugs. They're not out sleeping around. That's not even the battle they're fighting. For a lot of kids, the battle they're fighting is persecution from their parents when they leave the church and go home. So I'm going to kind of commend you as parents to do to. I'm going to say this. Be men and women of God that your children can honor. Be a woman of God that your, that your child can honor and look up to. 
you know, I know that this is hard and it puts a lot of pressure on us, but Paul literally talked about being a father in faith. And he literally went around telling churches, telling Christians that didn't know anything about following Jesus, right? They just got saved. They're like, I don't know how to walk this out. I don't know what I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to talk, what I'm supposed to do. Paul told them, follow me as I follow Christ. What does that mean? Paul literally said, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, just do every single thing that I do and you'll be following Jesus. That's a pretty tall order. That's pretty crazy. And that's as fathers and mothers, that's what we need to be to our children is setting the example of telling them, do you want to know what it looks like to be a man of God? Do what I do when you're, when you're my age. If you, do you want to know what it looks like to be a woman of God? Do what I do. And that's extremely difficult, I understand, but I'm telling you, it's not impossible. Parents, be people your kids can res- re- respect. I, I, this blows my mind, y'all. You know something that I've never thought, it never made sense to me, but parents ground their kids from coming to church. Don't do that. When I got grounded as a kid, I got grounded to church. I didn't get grounded from going to church. My mom, I was rebellious and crazy, and my mom's like, you're grounded, so you can't go anywhere, and every time the church is open, you have to be there. You got to go to youth, you got to go to prayer, you got to go to Bible study, you got to go Sunday morning, you got to go Sunday night. But now it's like kids, you know, they walk in their door and they stump their toe and their parents don't like, you're not going to church for a month. That is so crazy to me. I'm telling y'all, hear this with love, never do that. It is so important for you to be plugged in and your kids to be plugged into the right community of believers. You know, and I'm going to be honest with y'all, because the Bible teaches this, that we're about to get to this principle about submitting to authority. There's also a principle that you can listen, you can learn from this, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, and you're saying, I'm grown, you know? Obviously, when you're 14, it looks different to honor your father and mother than when you're 30. That just looks a little different. You're a grown man, you're a grown woman, you have your own house, you have your own life. It looks different than when you're eating your parents' food and living in their house. It's just going to be different. But here's a principle you can take away from this. Honor authority. Honor your authority. I think that, you know, let me see what I got here before I get sidetracked. Honor your authority. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. I was saying, I knew I was going somewhere with this. Honor your authority, but the Bible instructs us to only honor authority until it becomes unbiblical of what they're asking us to do. You know, in the book of Acts, when uh, Peter and the other disciples stood in front of this council, and they started telling them they were the authority. They were the governors. They were the rulers of the land. And they pulled these guys in and said, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. What was Peter and Peter's response? Oh, okay, well, Romans 13 says, yeah, we got to honor our authorities, even if what they're asking us to do is what this Bible says not to do. Well, you know, no. They said, should we listen to you or should we listen to God? I'll honor you. I'll respect you. And I will love you. I'll do all those things. But the second that things start being put on us that's unbiblical, that's where the line crosses and says, look, I'm not doing this in a place of dishonor, but this is, this is your authority. This is my authority. This is the ultimate authority. And so this is a struggle, and y'all may hate me for this, but you know, I have kids that 
they come to me and they're like, what do I do? My parents are like making it so hard to follow Christ to even come to church. They're telling me, you know, I can't come to church for two months because I spilt some trash on the floor. What do I do? I don't say, well, honor your father and mother. That's what I, you know, I'm like, you know, I, <laughs> the biblical example that I would have to give is saying, look, you need to honor, you need to love, you need to respect, but there's got to be a push from that. That's, that's unbiblical being put. And here's the thing, too, is most of the people, even most of the pastors in the New Testament church, y'all understand most of Jesus' disciples were like 17 and 18 years old. Kids nowadays that we think that they're too immature to, you know, uh, mow the grass when they're 16 or 17, these men back in ancient times were pastoring churches of thousands and thousands of people under heavy persecution. God doesn't look at your 14-year-old like they're a sub-Christian. God doesn't look at your 13-year-old that's a believer like they're less Christian, like they're less insignificant as you. These words, the same way that if your boss was putting things on you that was unbiblical, God looks at them the same way and says, Obviously, you need to pray. Obviously, it's weird because you're, you know you live in your parents' household and those lines can be blurred. But this is your ultimate authority. And that's what I tell kids. That's what, I'll, that's what I will tell a kid that's 15 or 16 every single time. This is your ultimate authority. I know it's hard. I'll try to talk to your parents. I'm here with you. And every time it's worked out, we've never had an issue. Like every time that I talk to a parent, it ends up being great. And fine but uh i'm just trying to tell you guys you know that's how god sees it uh, the, another principle from this kind of what god is uh, painting a picture of honor your father and mother he's telling kids learn wisdom from people that are older than you you know there's an old saying that says if you don't know what history says it's bound to repeat itself you know one of the first things Hitler started doing was burning Bibles and burning textbooks in Germany. I know there was a push here while back to take the Holocaust out of world history. Y'all know that there's like a lot of people that are literally pushing to try to tell the younger generation that that never happened. That was all fabricated. Really? And they want to take it out of history books. And here's the principle that we can learn from that we need to understand that what the Bible is saying. We, have, we need to learn from those that have already been there and done that. That's what he's saying to the kids, and that's what we can all take as a church. Y'all, I'm telling you, that's why it's so important. People think that us sitting in this room, so many think it's ridiculous, but it's not when you look back in history. Well, it's just about coronavirus. They're just telling you guys not to gather because of the coronavirus. Do you know when Hitler invaded Germany, he didn't go campaigning saying, I'm going to kill all the Jews? He started making promises to people, gaining a little bit more authority, a little bit more authority. And before you knew it, he started stripping rights away. And he had already had people backed into a corner now where they had already forfeited their guns. They had already forfeited their rights. And now he had them right where he wanted them to do everything that he wanted to do. It is foolish and unbiblical for us to not look back at history and say, I'm just, oh, oh. It happened. It ain't going to happen to us. No, the Bible tells us, learn lessons. Use wisdom. 
And I see that all over Facebook. Use wisdom. I am using wisdom. This happened. I'm not making up some story. This stuff happened in history. You know why we have the First Amendment and the Second Amendment and the Constitution? It's because we were a country that came from another country that the government controlled the church. The government controlled all of this and it was wicked. And it was, they could, the preachers had to have a license issue, issued by the government to even be able to practice. And so what you ended up seeing, you've seen this all through history, the Roman Catholic Church, all throughout history, every single time that government begins to dictate religion and what the body of Christ does, it never ends up well, ever. And so that's why we, as Christians, I'm not saying, I'm not accusing, I'm not trying to be some space cadet with like a tinfoil hat on and some you know conspiracy theorist, but I'm telling you, that's why it's important for us to be wise and not think that it's impossible because it's happened time and time and time again. Amen? Um, let's look at verse 10. My child, if sinners, and we're going to read all the way through 18. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Verse 13. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come, throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. You know, this is just funny, but that kind of sounds like uh, socialism a little bit to me. Well, I'll share the loot. Verse 15, my child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. 16, they rush to commit evil deeds. They hurry to commit murder. Verse 17, if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. So, couple things. My first point is this. If you kind of just take this as a whole... You know, it's talking about a person that there's this crowd that the the crowd's coming to them saying one thing, but they know that that's not the right path. And so here's a principle that we can learn from this. Don't follow the crowd. Don't give in to peer pressure. Y'all, I, I had a Bible professor that, you know, it was funny. He always dressed differently. He always acted differently. He always just was very different. And one time he said, you know, I always look around and I see what everybody else is doing. And I always know that I should probably be doing the other because the Bible teaches most of the time what the majority of people are doing is wrong. And so I automatically know to go in the opposite direction. Don't follow the crowd and don't give in to peer pressure. Again, I just want to give you uh, some exhortation from this. Everything, just filter everything through the word of God. Even the decision of our church right now, what we've been doing, y'all know that you've been here. We've had a, a revival that we just had in the parking lot, and who knows what all God's going to do with that. It's just been amazing. But even in the beginning, when all this COVID-19 started happening, I'm telling you, I'll be vulnerable because this is a different setting than just normal church. You know how easy it would have been to look around and say, well, that church doing this. Well, that church is doing this. Well, look what every other church in the country is doing. But the Bible gives us a principle. Look, it, it, don't just always jump in. And I'm not saying 
always have to stand out and always be different. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you have to understand this principle that following the majority most of the time isn't the right thing. You know, and, and, and especially if what the majority is saying, and it's opposite to what the Word of God says, don't do what everybody, don't give in to peer pressure. Don't do it just because people are going to look at you weird and think something weird about you. Ultimately, go back to the Word of God and say, I am not going to be dictated by what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what the Word of God says. Amen? The majority. Another thing. So, looking back up, um, let me see, in verse 10. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. Here's the principle. In Christianity, you have got to, this is what repentance means, separate yourself from the world. I know that in modern church, modern teachers, we kind of just want to teach something that everybody likes. Hey, you can do what everybody else is doing. You can live like everybody else is living. Modern Christianity would read that text and say, hey, you know, if they come and entice you to come and join with them and do all the things that they're doing, go ahead and do it, but that's okay because grace covers it. That's like, that's what the modern type of teaching, that seems ridiculous, but that's true. That's more along the lines of what it is. But the Bible teaches us this fundamental key, repentance. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is not saying you're sorry. The actual word, the, the original word, if you look at the definition, it literally means to change your mind or change direction. Do you know that you can repent and never say sorry? People think what God wants from us is, I messed up. Man, I need to run to the altar. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've said sorry a thousand times. I don't know how many more times I can say I'm sorry. God's saying, that's not even really repentance. I'm glad you're sorry. It's okay to say sorry, but... This is as easy as repentance is. I'm walking in this direction, and I stop, and I turn, and I start walking in a different direction. That's what the word repentance literally means. Whenever these sinners, when these things are enticing you, it says don't follow them. Turn your back on them. Here's a principle for you. If any believer is ever going to walk like Jesus walked, if any believer is ever going to walk in the blessing of God that David talked about, that Abraham had, that it says that we have in Galatians 3, if we're ever going to obtain divine wisdom, knowledge, all of these benefits, all of these blessings, there has to be a moment in your life where you look back and say, that's where I turned from the rest of the world. Here's the thing. You can never get to that place still trying to do what everybody else does. You know, so many people... And this is like the scary thing about Christianity is that we try to convince people, hey, just come. And by coming, you know, you can still live your life and do your thing. But as long as you're going to church, it's okay. And I'm not against anybody that's struggling. I'm not talking about somebody that's struggling. I'm talking about what Romans 6 says, using God's grace as an excuse to keep on sinning in our lives. You know, let's just read that real quick. That's just coming to me. Let me read that to y'all. Romans 6. I don't know if she has that. I'll just read a couple verses to you. We're almost getting done. The last few um, verses, they're all kind of tied together. Romans 6. 
I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying is that God doesn't show us grace. Am I saying God doesn't give us grace? You mess up, God spits you out, and He hates you, and He slaps you on the face. Is that what I'm saying? That's not at all what I'm saying. But this is what I am saying, Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined, I'm sorry, we were joined with him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Can y'all say new lives? God's fundamental principle is there's got to be a point where you step away from who you used to be, from what you used to do, and you receive God's power, you receive God's forgiveness, you receive God's grace, and there's a switch where now you live a new life. This is what it's saying in Proverbs. If they come, no. It says, turn your back on them. Y'all, this is, and again, I could probably keep going on this forever, but this is so many people's problems. Why can't I move forward? I'm trying to come to church and I just feel like a, there's got to be a moment where you look at that crowd you were running with. You look at those people. You look at that situation. You're not condemning anybody. You're not saying, I think I'm better than you now. But for your own personal development, you say, I, I got to turn my back. Hey, you know, Billy Bob, why don't you come over and hang out? Man, I'm really trying to follow Jesus right now. Uh you don't have to do anything. Just come hang out. And that's where people fall. They end up just going to the same places, doing the same things. And before you know it, just by who you're around, the Bible literally says the wise will walk with the wise and become wiser. Fools will live in the company of fools and they'll become foolish. Who you are around is who you will become. There's got to be that shift where you turn your back and say, no, I was going this way. And I shifted, you know, that's why people say, I tell people I didn't get saved until I was, man, almost 19 years old. And they're like, what, John, what are you talking about? You didn't get saved. I remember seeing you at the altar when you were 15. You know, somebody could have been like, I saw your mom lead you in that prayer when you were eight years old. I saw you when you were 17 at youth camp, raising your hands in worship. When I was 18 years old is when the first memory that I have of when I made a decision in my life that I'm actually walking this way. Now I'm turning and I'm going to go in a different direction. That was the moment where I turned my back. That is the moment I, accept God, I accepted God's salvation, His grace, His power, His mercy for my life. And that's the moment everything changed. The second I did that, I can tell you it was a matter of months. Things just started happening. When I finally cut those ties... And did that. Y'all still with me? So let's... You have to leave that life to prosper. I feel like we, we gathered that. Verse 17, I have this highlighted. I thought this was interesting. If a bird sees a trap being set and knows to stay away. Y'all, and I'm just going to tell you, that enticement, that sin that you're struggling with, that keeps whispering, that you're like, oh, I know, like that thing. It is a trap. You will get to the end of it. You may go and you're like, man, I might have had fun for five minutes, but you're going to get to the other side and look back and say, that was a mistake. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. 
I feel guilt. I feel condemnation. You will feel that. And I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. So take what the Word of God says. If a bird sees a trap being set, it doesn't fly right into it. It says, oh, look, a trap. And it goes the other way. How simple is that for us? But that's why, again, I understand there's this force on the inside of us. This, this fight with sin. They're like, I want that. I want to do that. I want to, I, you know, that cries out for that. But that's why Proverbs 1 lays this foundation automatically, as we read in the very beginning. It said, the purpose of this book is to teach people wisdom and discipline. Discipline is where that moment comes in. Oh, okay. No one's denying that I want this. No one's denying that everything inside of me just wishes I could do this one thing right now. But that's where discipline comes in and self-control comes in. I'm not going to. And stop feeling guilty, y'all. This is the difference because people were like, man, maybe you've struggled with addiction. I've been thinking about addiction a lot. And they start feeling condemned like something's wrong with them because they've thought about it. They've had a thought. Maybe you've looked at a person lustfully. Maybe you've had this thought. And I used to struggle with that in Bible college. I'd be like some young man, you know. Obviously, I'd see a girl or something or see my girlfriend, Carissa. Oh, why am I thinking about that? Oh, my God, this is wrong. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be doing that. I heard a preacher say one time, there's a difference. You can't help if a bird flies over your head. Nothing you can do about that. But you can prevent it from landing and building a nest. You're going to have thoughts. You're going to have things that just like pass over you. Stop feeling. That's not sin. What sin is, is when you grab a hold of that and you feel the Spirit and you know the Word saying that's wrong. You need to cast that out and you grab a hold of that and you allow it to build a nest and to to be rooted inside of you. Then it becomes sin. And then it produces sinful action. And then sinful action, according to Romans, what? Produces death. So it says this. The next verse. This is verse 19. And I separated this. But if you read it all together, it would say, if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate, verse 19, of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. You know, I just love that. That that line can stand by itself. Being greedy for money will rob you of life. What does it mean being, being greedy for money? Uh, let me read you 1 Timothy 6, one, uh, I'm sorry, 6, 6.10. This is the scripture like 90% of Christians misquote. I'll ask you this. Is money a bad thing? No. People will say, well, you know, the Bible says the love of money. I'm sorry, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It, in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says the love. Can y'all say love? of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And that's what Proverbs is saying is that those who are greedy for money, it robs them of life. What does it mean to be greedy for money? And this is what most Americans are. You know, it means that if, if you're just greedy for more, the house, the cars, the life, you just want to have the big, fat savings account, are any of those things bad? Is it sinful for somebody to have a nice house? I've seen some of the most powerful men of God in, my, in the world have some of the nicest houses I've ever seen. 
Is it bad to have a bank account with money in it? No. You know, the Bible actually says that that's a blessing. He will fill your storehouses with grain. That's actually having a reservoir full. That's a biblical thing. But what will rob you of life is when you make it your life intention to say, look, I'm going to push away kids. I'm going to push away wife. I'm going to push away church. I used to see this, y'all. I grew up in the, in the oil field country my whole life. I'd see it a hundred times. A man lose everything, oil field crash. Man, they would they'd be in church the next Sunday, and for months they were just on fire for God, doing so great, doing so great. And then all of a sudden, a job opportunity comes up, and they're like, oh, i got to be gone for six weeks at a time. And they take it, and you look at their life six months later, every single time, they were like worse off than they were before when they came to church. And, then, and that's what the Bible is talking about. If you push everything aside and say, this is what I'm after, I just want this life, this, the, and it will rob you from the life that God wants you to have. It'll rob you from your relationship with your children. It'll rob you from your marriage. It will rob you from the blessing and the doors and the opportunity that God wants you to have. That doesn't mean God wants us all to live in a cardboard box and, you know, roast marshmallows over a campfire and have to kill a squirrel and live in, and live in rags and sing kumbaya. That's not what God's saying. It's saying that pursuit will rob you of life. But this is amazing. Matthew 6, 33. I actually shared this Sunday. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Another translation actually says, better. it says it better. It says, and all these things will be added unto you. So when you read Matthew 6, it, Jesus is literally telling them, hey, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about the clothes that you wear. He even makes this statement, don't worry about the things of ordinary life. What's ordinary life? Well, I got a house payment. I got a car payment. I got to pay insurance. I got to pay whatever. Ordinary life. Jesus says, do not worry about these things. He goes on to talk about God's provision and God's will to provide for you. And then he says this, seek the kingdom of God and live righteously. And all of those things that you could have spent your whole life chasing after the best house, the most money, that, that life of just wealth, he says it will be added unto you if you will just seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, so let's keep reading. We're almost done. We only got a few more verses. Verses 20 through 25. Wisdom. Can y'all say wisdom? Shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate, saying, How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mark mockers relish in your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Verse 23. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and I'll make you wise. I called you, I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. Let me read you this scripture and I'm going to reread that verse to you and it'll kind of give you some insight. 1 Corinthians 1.30 literally says this, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him, who's him? 
Jesus to be wisdom itself. So look back. Wisdom shouts out in the street. The Bible actually says that God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. So we could read that whole verse and put Jesus' name in that verse. Jesus shouts in the streets. He cries out in the public square. He calls to the crowd along, um, along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. He says, how long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish in your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to me and my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I offered. You know something that strikes me that is so amazing about this? Jesus wants to speak to us. We don't have this picture that God's far away, because that's what a lot of people have, especially if you're just trying to come to Jesus right now. We have this mindset that God is so far away. It's so hard to hear His voice. I just wish I could get something from the Lord. I feel like I, I'm not getting anything, and we think that He's so far away. But when you read this, Jesus is like shouting on the street corners, saying, anybody, just come, and I will share my heart with you. I just want you to, God is not far away. If I can encourage you, anybody in this room, God is so close. He's not somebody that you have to jump through 50 different hoops and do 10 different spins and, and 37 Hail Marys to get right. He is standing there shouting, saying, Any, just, if you would just listen to me, I will bless you. I'll share my heart with you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you understanding. I'll give you everything if you would just receive what I want to give you. Amen? And it's just as easy as this. You know, kind of the whole call is he's just saying, just repent, just turn. All you have to do is just come and listen to me. All you have to do, you know, again, people feel like God is just holding a grudge over them. God is not holding a grudge over you. God's not looking at your past and your mistakes, holding a grudge over you, over your head, like you're not good enough and you can never obtain enough, you can never be good enough. He's literally saying all you have to do is just come. And listen to me. Step away. Turn, as we talked about. We got two more little sections and we're done here. This is 26 through 30. And these are going to be fast. So it says, So I will laugh when you're in trouble. I will mock when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. Verse 28. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge. They chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. People are like, what in the world? That seems crazy. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is talking about somebody, and we're going to get more context in the next verse we read. Jesus is not talking about somebody that's struggling. Jesus is talking about somebody that knows what they're doing is wrong and yet continues to do it. And then all of a sudden now they're reaping the consequences of decisions that they've made. And they're saying, oh man, I don't really want to repent. I don't really want Jesus. I just don't want to deal with this situation. Jesus is saying, look, at that point you're going to have to reap what you sow. Another kind of to, to give this to you quickly as well, that I also believe this is a picture of the final judgment. Y'all, God is full of grace. 
It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. If you come to a point in your life where you're like genuinely, okay, I know I've done this a hundred times, but this 101, I'm ready to actually change the direction. He'll forgive you. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is so important. There is coming a time and very soon where it will be too late. There is coming a time very soon that the Bible teaches that the, the, the door to the wedding feast is going to be shut. And when the door's shut, it doesn't get open again. This is why it's so important for us to not just be sitting at home on Netflix, but the church has a job to do because Jesus is coming back very, very, very soon. And there's people out there that are lost. There's people that need to hear the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ because the reality is he is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. But the Bible teaches us when that door shuts, it shuts. And the sad part is, not everybody's going to be on the right side of that door. Our job is to make sure we get to take as many people with us as possible. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your house with you. We're not like the Egyptians that had our cats buried with us. I know some people are like, man, my cats are going to be in heaven with me. They're not. I'm sorry. You don't get to take them with you. The only thing you get to take with you is the work that you did on this earth. The souls that you brought to Jesus Christ on this earth. The reward that you earn in heaven. I'm going to read you this last scripture. And we're going to conclude tonight. This is the verse 31 through 33. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way. Choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turned away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own. Can you say their own? So many people, how can God do that? How can these bad, God it must not be a good God if these bad things are happening? You know, the Bible says this in Galatians 6, 7, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You know that, you know that Jesus, I'm sorry, the scripture is saying these people that are crying out, that are in this bad situation, that are like, trying to reach out to God and, and things aren't great. It's not because God looked at them and said, I want to punish you. I want to squash you like a bug. You really made me mad. It literally says they're just simply eating the fruit from the seeds that they sowed. You know, I'm, I'm going to encourage you. Here's the most amazing thing about grace. If you look at your life and you're like, I don't like the fruit that I'm eating, start changing the seed that you're sowing. Because you can't sow bad seed and eat good fruit. On the, on the flip side, though, you can't sow good, good seed and eat bad fruit. You are always going to reap what you sow. Galatians 6, that's the New Testament. That's not the Old Covenant. That's in our covenant. God is still a God of justice. You will always reap what you sow. I'm going to end with this, verse 33. This is the last verse. It says, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear or harm y'all and i'll and i'll just wrap this up with saying this you have covenant promises with god there's promises that you, for us we don't have to live like the rest of the world you don't have to live like somebody that's living in this chaos wondering you know where is god why are these bad things happening he says that if you remain if refrain from those things and walk in covenant with me you will live in peace fear free from fear of harm if you've been here, you know we've been reading Psalms 91. You have protection. 
God will protect your life. God will protect you from sickness and disease when we walk in covenant with Him. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear or harm. I just want to encourage you today. It's as easy as this. Y'all, we make it so complicated, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to conclude. If you're online and you're still with us, it's as easy as this. Take the Word of God tonight. Make a decision to take the Word of God and say, I'm going to start living by what this thing says. I'm not going to live by what I think. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to keep going down that path. I'm going to just simply take a step of repentance tonight and say, I don't live this life anymore. I don't think this way. I'm, I'm making the decision from this night forward. This makes my decisions for me. He says, if you do that, you will live in peace untroubled. Can you say untroubled? Well, how many of you know everybody goes through mountains and somebody, you got to go through? Why, where do we even get stuff like that? untroubled by fear or harm the only mountain or the only valley that jesus went through was the one where he hung on the cross but he didn't stay there he rose three days later and now he's seated in glory at the right hand of the father and it says that he became poor so that you could become rich he took your stripes so that you could be healed he subject himself to the devil so that you could have authority over him it's just such a disgrace. It's not even a funny thing. It's a disgrace that he did all that stuff for us, and we would still think like that. There is such great promises for us. If you guys tuned into our podcast the last couple nights, I'll tell you this last thing. It's impossible to live according to the Word of God and not prosper in life. The Bible says, Psalms 1, Deuteronomy 28, Joshua chapter 1, uh, John chapter 15, all throughout the scripture, we can keep lifting scripture after scripture. When you do what the word of God says, just like Proverbs says, it will teach you how to rule in life and civil affairs and business affairs and religious affairs. You will rule as a king in this life when you take this word and learn the divine principles and truths that the Lord has given us and instructions. Y'all, if you're with me online and you're here, I just want to pray. If you feel comfortable, I want you to just lift your hands up. Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your blessing. I know that the word of God, it never returns void. It always produces fruit. Not one word that was spoken tonight is going to go uh, without producing fruit in, in these lives. So I just release blessings right now, multiplication right now. Lord, that you are pouring out your spirit, your anointing. You're speaking to people in this room. I thank you for your gifts. I thank you for your provisions. I thank you for your protection. I thank you that Psalms 91 says your word is our armor and our protection. I just shield every single person with the wisdom of God, with the knowledge of God, with the supernatural protection that comes from the word of God. Every blessing released right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your word. And we give Jesus Christ all the glory. And everybody said, Amen, guys.